We've been really going slow through this book, this really short book, but taking us a while because we're going slow on purpose. We want to find as much as we can out of this beautiful, wonderful, challenging book, 1 John. And so we call this the, the, the theme of our series, For His Glory and For Our Benefit. And I just think it's a beautiful relationship that God has built, that both things happen at the same exact time. We are benefited. He is glorified. We don't have to pick one or the other. God does both. If you need a Bible, we have these nice hard copy ESV version of the Bible back there on our bookshelf. And some of them are large print, not judging. If you need a Bible, that's why they're there. Grab a Bible, and at least in the smaller print one, it's going to be page 961. But those Bibles are there for you to use, or if you need a Bible or you know know someone that needs a Bible, please take one. That's why they're there. You can have that. And uh, please join us in the scriptures today, 1 John 4. The title of our lesson today is going to be called The Confident Soul. The Confident Soul. We're going to look at three verses today. 1 John 4, 16 to 18. We actually looked at 16 last week as well, but they overlap. So we're going to include 16 in our lesson today. Before we get there, do you have any phobias? <laughs> Think about it. Do you have any phobias, any fears? That if someone asked you, what is your greatest phobia, what would that be? Well, I'm going to quiz you this morning. I have 10 phobias and uh, 10 phobias. Some of these you'll know just by the name of them. You'll know what it is. But I have a little system here. I'm going to give you the phobia. You're going to guess what that phobia is. And then I'm going to tell you how to beat it. All right? Aren't I a great pastor? You can walk out of here with no fears today. <laughs> Let's start here with an easy one. Arachnophobia. What is that? The fear of spiders. Now, Josh Wilde told me a funny story before he got up here. He was going to practice this morning with the band and found a little spider on his microphone. Just saying hi. So Josh did the humane thing and took it outside to the North Country where it belongs. Yes, arachnophobia is the fear of spiders. Can I see a show of hands who has a touch of arachnophobia? Okay, all right. I'm going to tell you how to defeat that phobia, okay? Here's how you defeat arachnophobia if you have it. You simply make spiders a part of your diet. That's how you do it. You see a spider walk in the room instead of, ah, you're like, take that little spider, throw it in your gumbo, throw it in your casserole for Wednesday. Don't do that, actually. That's how you defeat it. Defeat it. Make it a part of your diet. How about this one? I don't know if you guys have heard of this one. I don't know how to say it even. It's either nikto or nikto. Phobia. Does anyone know what that is? Think about the word. Nikto or nyctophobia. It's the fear of the dark. Fear of darkness. Nyctophobia. Fear of the dark. Here's how you defeat the fear of the dark. Glow-in-the-dark tattoos. It's never dark. Glow-in-the-dark tattoos. Is that a thing? I don't know, but it should be. Uh, number three, dentophobia. Think about the word. Dentophobia. The fear of dentists. Anyone? Fear of dentists. I think we all have that one a little bit. No, Sue? No fear, Dennis? Oh, man. Just a little bit for me. What's that? The laughing gas? <laughs> Maybe that's the way to beat it. Just give me the gas as soon as you enter the office. That's a good one, actually. This is the one I came up with, to defeat the fear of the dentist. Just become a dentist. Turn the tables. Become the person that everyone else is terrified of, and that way you won't have the fear. I don't think you'll be scared of yourself. How about this one? Acrophobia. What is acrophobia? The fear of... Heights. Wow, you know a lot of these. The fear of heights. Anyone have the fear of heights? I don't think, can you live in the North Country and be scared of heights? Apparently, yes. There's a handful of us scared of mountains and heights. Here's the way to defeat the fear of heights. Move to Iowa. Gone. You'll never be scared of heights ever again because there are no heights in Iowa. How about this one? Miso or misophobia. Misophobia, the fear of germs. The fear of germs. You want to know the way to defeat the fear of germs? Have eight kids. And I know that sounds kind of like the opposite. Because you will be surrounded by germs. But your immune system will be like Chuck Norris. By having eight kids. Germs will be everywhere and you'll be strong. How about this one? Glossophobia. Glossophobia. The fear of public speaking. Fear of public speaking. This is a big one. Fear of public speaking. Here's how I'm going to tell you how I defeat the fear of public speaking. You guys want to know? Picture everyone in the audience as a moose. The audience is full of moose. Some, suddenly you're comforted and a little creeped out. That's just a joke. These are jokes. How about this one? Scopophobia, number seven. Scopophobia. It's the fear of being stared at. Yeah. 
I guess that's a fear. People don't like to be stared at. I thought of a great way to defeat this phobia. Look super creepy. <laughs> if you look super creepy, people will not look long. They won't. They'll look right away. How about this one? We probably heard of this one before. Claustrophobia. Claustrophobia. What is that one? The fear of... Wow, we got some hands. The fear of tight spaces. Who's got claustrophobia up there in the booth? Are you a little claustrophobic right now, Ian? Claustrophobia is the fear of tight spaces. I thought of a great way to defeat claustrophobia. Have bad body odor. No one will be near you. No one will come near you. You'll have tons of space. You'll go on the airplane, go on the bus. Really, guys? It's a joke. Everybody's looking at me like that's real advice. That's not real advice. Don't do that. How about this one? Number nine, trichophobia. Trichophobia. I'm not sure exactly where they get some of these words, but trichophobia is the fear of hair. The fear of hair. The fear of hair. People are scared of hair, I guess. Um, I don't know what you're thinking right now, but I have a great way to defeat the fear of hair. <laughs> I'm going to say it this way. Donate yours to me. That way you won't have it, and I'll have hair. It's a beautiful two-way street there. My last one is, uh, this is a tough one to say, venestrophobia. Venestrophobia. This is a weird one. Are these really things? Are this, is this an actual fear? The fear of beautiful women. The fear of beautiful women. That's a fear? Maybe an insecurity, but a fear? Well, I have a way to defeat this fear. Stay away from Janine Walker. She's not even here to receive that. So I have this fear a lot because she's always around me. Uh, actually, we have another fear that's going to lead us into our lesson today. It is called thanatophobia. Thanatophobia. It is the fear of death. The fear of death. The best way to cure the fear of death is to get eternal life in Jesus. Open your Bibles. 1 John 4, verses 16 to 18 is where we're going to be today. I've encouraged you to read 1 John once a week. I still encourage you to do that. Make that a practice. I believe that's going to be really helpful and a blessing to your soul. Try to read through 1 John every week if you can until we're done with this beautiful book. 1 John 4, 16 to 18. Let's hear what the Word of God says. John says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Amen? Confidence. A confident soul is where we're going today. I've encouraged you along the ways to keep this in context. We're actually going to continue to do this through the entire book here because we need to understand that John is building themes here. He's building on top of things he's already said. So I decided to include verse 16 in our lesson today, even though we looked at verse 16 last week. But I want you to understand what, what John has just told us so we understand where he's taking us. First John 4, 12 to 16 is where we were last week. John said this. He says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that he, we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We talked about the importance of abiding last week. Today we're talking about confidence. We have a three-point outline. Number one, it's the foundation for confidence. Number two, the reward of confidence. And number three, the result of confidence. All about confidence today. Let's talk about the foundation for confidence. Now, I told you I'm doing one of the scariest things right now. People are terrified of what I'm doing right now, public speaking. I have had people in the church basically tell me, Pastor, I'll do anything. I'll serve anywhere. You need it, I'll do it. Except one. Don't ask me to do anything on stage. Don't bring me up to speak or to pray or anything like that. And uh, I think it's because everyone kind of has a fear of public speaking. Now, not everybody does, and you can, you can overcome this fear, and I, thankfully I have by God's grace. But does that picture make you a little nervous? Just looking at those eyes, just kind of staring at you, even though it's just a picture? Because that's what I'm staring at right now, actually, people looking back at me. And that, that can make you anxious. That can make anyone anxious if the crowd's big enough, or maybe even it's a small crowd, because 
We don't like feeling anxious, do we? We don't like the idea of being anxious or feeling worried. Did you know, and maybe you do know, maybe this is very common knowledge, but the rise of anxiety and depression, at least among young adults, is rising in the United States. Anxiety and depression and even suicidal thoughts are up in our United States and amongst young adults, and that does surprise and sadden me that people who seemingly have their whole life ahead of them are struggling with such debilitating things such as anxiety and depression. Suicide rates continue to arise among Americans. I just found this article, this was only a few days ago, August 10th, that there's suicide, rate, suicide rates in our country are on the rise. If depression is up, if anxiety is up, and if suicide rates are up, that means one thing, confidence is down. Confidence is down. We wouldn't be struggling with those things if we all felt confident. And thankfully, the Word of God has a lot to say on this topic. We'll start right here with verse 16. John says, So we have come to know, he's used this phrase many times, to know for certain, and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. You see the foundation for confidence? We've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. I believe that's one of the best verses to use on the topic of confidence is to know that God loves you. God, the almighty God, the sovereign holy one, the creator of the ends of the earth, loves you, has affection for you, considers you his, one of his children. I think that is one of the best ways to overcome anxiety and depression and suicidal thoughts is simply to know at the end of the day, no matter what happens, from the moment I wake up to the moment I lay down to sleep, I am loved by God. And John says we can know that that is a reality, that God loves us. Now, I'm going to speak to you today like, like a person on the journey with you, okay? I sometimes, even as a pastor, feel distant from God. I do. Because I live here on earth, he's dwelling there in heaven, and sometimes, even though I know God loves me, it feels distant. It feels like God is way, away, way far away from me, and I'm way down here, and that love doesn't always seem so strong. And I know that's a lot of the trickery of the evil one, but sometimes... I can doctrinally agree that the fact that God loves me, but I don't always sense it. And maybe if you were honest, you feel the same way sometimes. That if someone said, does God love you? You'd say, yes, he does. But you don't always feel it that way. Well, I love the scripture and I love the way that God has set this up. This whole thing, this whole Christianity, this whole gospel. Because we don't have a distant God. One of the best names for Jesus is the name Emmanuel. Because the name translates to God is with us. God is with us. Jesus came down to earth to be with us so that we don't have to feel distant from our God who loves us. And in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, a passage Josh just read, the writer says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Do you notice that? Same temptations, the same weaknesses, the same valleys. Jesus was there in all of them. But one thing is different about his journey and our journey is we fall many times. Jesus never fell once. Now, even that phrase, you can go, well, see, see, he doesn't understand then. We fall and he doesn't fall. How does that help us connect with him as our God? And the answer is this, is because he knows how to win. He knows how to win. He's faced the same temptation, faced the same weaknesses, faced the same grief, but he's overcome all of them with the same tools that he makes available to us. The grace of God, the Holy Spirit, the scriptures, the church. Jesus used all of those to overcome every single temptation. And I think that's a beautiful connection we have with our Lord. It's that he's not distant. He came to earth so that we could fellowship with him and he could understand what we go through on a daily and weekly basis. And last week we talked about this, this verse from Hebrews. How Jesus has given us a hope as an anchor for the soul. A hope both sure and steadfast. And we talked about that tether being love. We are tethered to the anchor of Jesus through this 
process of being able to do, do the same things that Jesus did while he was on the earth. Love one another. When we love one another, it is, just, it is a sure sign that we belong to God, that we are anchored to Jesus. And that anchor, once you are anchored, never gives way. Did you know that? Never. The anchor cannot give way. By his very nature, he is an anchor. And he cannot give way so that when you are tethered to Jesus Christ, you are tethered permanently. And that's a beautiful thing to know. So John says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Three times he says the word abides, remains, stays near, dwells with. Now maybe you'll agree with me that life feels like a roller coaster. And when we say this, we don't mean fun like a roller coaster, right? Because roller coasters are fun. My children love roller coasters. We went to Storyland this past summer, and they have little kids' roller coasters, and the kids loved them. And they want to go back as soon as humanly possible. So when we say to my children, life is like a roller coaster, they're like, oh man, I can't wait. <laughs> These adults are having a blast. Life is like a roller coaster. But that's not generally what we mean, right? Generally what we mean is it's full of ups and downs, right? Mountains and valleys, victories and defeats, joys and struggles. We're often up and then we're often down. We're up again, we're down again. That's how our life feels sometimes. And that's sad because it feels like our joy and our confidence are based on circumstances of life, doesn't it? When circumstances are good, we're feeling good. We're feeling confident. Everything is great. The sun is shining. But as soon as the circumstances change and things get hard and grief-stricken and abandonment happens and pain comes into the picture, our confidence is low again. Is that really how God has built it? Like a roller coaster? Confidence one day, anxiety the next. I don't think so. In fact, I know so because Scripture makes it plainly clear that that is not His plan. I'm going to take you to a cross-reference in Matthew chapter 8. You can either follow along in your own Bible or just look upon the screen. This is one of my absolute favorite narratives in the Gospel. Is Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 to 27. This is probably a very familiar text to you, but I just want to pull a couple things out of this that I believe are going to be helpful for our lesson today. In Matthew 8, it sets up the scene by saying, when he, Jesus, the Son of God, got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Now, that's a very important piece to the story. Jesus gets into a boat and his disciples follow him because that's what disciples do, right? They follow their captain, their Lord. And so they did. Jesus gets into the boat, the disciples get into the boat. And much like what has been happening in our region, in our country, a, big, a great storm arose. You ever been on the sea in a storm? That has to be a terrifying place to be. In a boat, in a storm has to be a very terrifying place to be. But this is what happens. And the storm is so great upon the sea that the boat is being swamped by the waves. Now that's a big storm. The water is now coming into the boat and collecting water in the boat. And I'm, I'm, I've never been in that situation, but I can only use logic to say that's a bad thing. When you're in a boat and water is coming into your boat and swamping the boat, that's a big storm. That's a very precarious situation. But notice this phrase. Jesus is asleep. Why is Jesus asleep? Well, he's probably exhausted from ministry. I can tell you as a pastor, it's tiring. I've never been as exhausted as Jesus is, but uh, it's tiring being in ministry. I don't know exactly if that's why he's asleep, but Jesus is tired. He's asleep, and there's another reason Jesus is asleep. His confidence is high and his peace is high. The circumstances of life aren't going to affect Jesus because Jesus is sovereign. But this is the picture. In a boat, maybe a tiny boat, with 13 people, and a big nasty storm comes upon you suddenly, and the waves are coming into your boat, and you're terrified. And so you look at your Lord, your captain, and he's in the boat with you, but he's asleep. So I don't know what you would do in that situation if you're encountering the same kind of thing, but this is what the disciples decide to do. They went and woke him up. Jesus, get up. And they said this phrase, save us, Lord, we are perishing. Now, we can't really judge the disciples there, can we? Because what would we be thinking? Pretty much the same thing. If we're in this humongous storm, the water's coming into the boat, Jesus acts like he doesn't care or isn't actively helping us in the situation, we're going to assume the worst and say, save us, Lord, we are perishing. But what's interesting and unique about that phrase is this. Us and we. Do you know why that's interesting? Who are the disciples referring to? 
themselves. I would have to assume they're talking about themselves. But we learned one thing about the setup of this passage, didn't we? Verse 23 says, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Where's Jesus when this storm is happening? Up here somewhere in heaven? His disciples are down here in the storm and they're going, Jesus, save us. You're in comfort. We're in danger. Do something to change this situation. No, that's not what happened because Jesus is in the boat with them. He's in the boat and he's asleep in the boat. So when the disciples say, save us, Lord, we are perishing, they're talking about themselves. But they have to be including Jesus in that. Because if the boat goes down, Jesus goes down too. Jesus is experiencing the same storm, the same waters, and the same boat at the same time. Verse 26 says, And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? I mean, Jesus, that seems a little harsh. It's a bad storm. Your disciples are fragile people. They're capable of dying if water gets into their lungs, if the boat collapses. Isn't that a little harsh for you to say, you of little faith? Maybe if Jesus wasn't in the boat. But Jesus is in the boat. He's in the boat next to them. In fact, he's so at peace, so not concerned, he's fast asleep. That should have been a message, I believe, for the disciples to say, listen, if this boat goes down, the Lord, the sovereign Christ, Messiah of the world also goes down. That's not going to happen. We're probably safe with him. Then he does something remarkable. He rose, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. That must have been a wild thing to experience, right? Huge storm, water swamping the boat. Jesus wakes up, he rebukes the disciples for their lack of faith, and in a moment, the storm is gone, and calm waters return. And if you're a disciple, you're going, wow, and thank you, Lord. That's exactly what we wanted. We wanted calm waters. That's a beautiful thing. What a beautiful answer to prayer that the disciples got that day. This is what they said, verse 27. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? It's a term that we call sovereign. And if you notice the word, rain is right in there. And Jesus is sovereign over all. And that's an important thing to know about this phrase because Jesus was in the boat with the disciples. And I'll even say the same boat with the disciples and the same storm comes upon them and the disciples are worried and terrified and Jesus says to them you don't have to fear and the reason you don't have to fear is because I'm with you I'm not distant I'm not in heaven on my throne I'm with you in the same boat at the same time experiencing the same things and you can have confidence not when the waters are calm of course you can have confidence when the waters are calm but you can have confidence when the water is swamping the boat because I'm with you and I am the author of confidence. I am the author of salvation. I am sovereign over all. John backs us up by saying, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever, notice it, abides in love, abides in God, and God abides in him. Is God distant? On the contrary, he couldn't be closer. He's dwelling within us. We have his Holy Spirit, he is inside of our souls, dwelling within our souls, working as directly as he possibly could so that he tells us today, I'm in the boat with you. The boat can't go down if I'm the captain of the boat and I'm in the very same boat that you are. And John says, we've come to know and experience this and to believe that God loves us because we've heard this verse ever since we were little. We made this our password for our Wi-Fi. It's such a foundational, beautiful truth for God so loved the world. And this is when we were sinners. This is when we were aliens of God. This is when we were hostile and rebels to God. He loved us so much at that point that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have, finish it for me, eternal life. That's how much God loved us when we were sinners. Now that we're his children, how much do you think God loves us? I can only imagine. God's love is deep and vast and true and steadfast. And he wants to remind us today that we can be confident. And John has already approached this. In 1 John chapter 3, he's already told us this as a reminder. He said in verse 16 of chapter 3, By this we know love. We've already experienced this love. That he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 
verse 23 of the same chapter, he said, this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. It's so simple. Believe. Believe that God loves you through Jesus. Believe that he wants you safe. Believe that he wants you to have eternal life. Believe that he wants to be in the boat with you so that you don't have to be afraid anymore. When I uh, visited here, I was thinking about the same thing this past week. And I was remembering the very first thing I taught here at Crossroads. It was a year ago tomorrow, 9-11. I was here on 9-11. That's how I remember it. Because that's a unique day, isn't it? 9-11. That's a day that has a lot of bad memories for many of us. But for me, I was able to redeem part of that 9-11 because I was here preaching. And this is the passage I was able to preach from. Where Peter says, Unto you therefore who believe, he, Jesus, is precious. Do you believe Jesus is precious? To those who believe, to those who have tasted of the love of God, is Jesus precious to you? I believe he's precious to many of us in this room because we've tasted of that love. We've tasted of that love even in really hard seasons. And therefore we've discovered that Jesus is precious. So passage I like to... Well, it didn't come up there, did it? Huh. My screen is rejecting that one. Okay. Well, that's okay, because I can turn it around and show you. Um, in, is it there? Oh, look what happened. Romans 8.31 says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Is that a beautiful verse? If God is on my team, if God is in my boat, what can be against us? My paraphrase is who cares who's against us? If God is with me, if God is for me, what does it matter who stands in my way? Nothing can overcome God. If God is on my team, if Jesus is in my boat, I'm in pretty good shape. And I believe that's the source for all confidence. John says we've come to know by experience, and to believe. We've tasted of it. We understand it. This isn't a blind faith. We've seen it up close. I've experienced the love of God that he has for us. God is love. Did I lose my mic there? I just quit quiet. Did I lose my mic? I might have to start shouting now. It's, it's out. Batteries are dead. All right, guys. From now on, I will be shouting. I'm not angry. Want to try new batteries? All right, let's come on down. All right, let's do the top ten again. See if it gets funnier. I'm just teasing. You can still hear me? Yeah, let's go that way. Which mic are we talking about here? Test, test. The other one's on? Guys, test, test, test. <laughs> All right, we're going to get this fixed. Thank you, Ann. Yeah, we just changed them. I don't want to have to shout at you guys. You guys, you guys would think I'm angry, and I'm not angry at you. On the contrary. Let's see if this works. Screen went down, the batteries went dead. There's some opposition to this lesson, isn't there? This must be a good one. How's that? Are we back on? A little too loud, maybe? All right. There we go. And I have the backup mic if needed, so we should be set. Thank you, tech team. That's why you guys exist. Beautiful. <laughs> Save the day once again. All right, let's get back into it. John says, so we've come to know and to believe by experience the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides with him. There it is. There's the source for confidence. There's the foundation for confidence. God loves us. God dwells within us. We have nothing to fear. That's going to set up the rest of the passage in a powerful way. Because number two, we go to the reward of confidence. The reward of confidence. What does confidence produce? If and when we have confidence, what do we gain? Well, we gain a lot. Again, I sort of started this lesson by asking if you had any phobias, but think about it. What are you actually scared of? What are the things that when you're plagued with fear, what are those things? I have my list. I have things that commonly affect me. Um, in the daylight, when everything is sunny and going well, I typically don't struggle with these things, but sometimes when I'm weary, and lonely and beaten down, sometimes these fears overcome me. I think we all have some of those things that we struggle with. Well, I decided to look up on the internet what New Hampshire struggles with as their number one fear. <laughs> she said, is it moose? 
Um, it should be, because they're nowhere. Um, but no, I decided to look up what scares people most in every state. Guess what New Hampshire struggles with the most is their number one fear. This might surprise you. It surprised me. Any guesses? Snow? I don't think you'd come here if you were scared of snow. What else? Vermont. Vermont. <laughs> Listen, I can't touch that one. I can't respond to that one. Thank you know what Heather we love you Heather so that doesn't stand no I'm gonna I'm gonna let you I'm gonna let you stop guessing number one fear for it New Hampshire vomit fact check me if you need to but there it is and apparently we share it with Delaware Delaware and New Hampshire are terrified of vomit now I belong in New Hampshire because I am terrified of vomit I have eight kids and I can't think of anything scarier than when the flu bug comes in. But I thought that was a strange fear to have as someone who lives in the North Country to be scared of vomit, but there it is. Well, John's gonna bring up something that's way more terrifying than vomit, way more terrifying than anything you can think of that you're scared of. Because he says this in verse 17, by this is love perfected with us so that we, have may con we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Do you notice that? Confidence, period? No. Confidence for the day of judgment. Wow. Now, if you've been in Christianity long enough, you know exactly what he's talking about there. Now, I want to work through this. This isn't really funny. I just want to sort of show you the common denominator with some of the most common phobias. Okay? Let's work through the list. The fear of heights. Why are people scared of heights? What might it lead to? It might lead to you falling and dying. It might lead to your death. Fear of spiders and snakes. You might be bitten. You might have venom inside of you, and it might lead to your death. The fear of flying. You might crash, and it might lead to your death. Fear of the dark. Someone scary or something scary might be in the dark that you can't see, and it leads to your death. The fear of germs. You get sick, and it leads to your death. <laughs> fear of success is an actual fear. I think, that, I think we're scraping the bottom of the fear barrel there. The fear of success. <laughs> Thank you, Ray. The fear of success is a real fear. And I thought about this one going, well, yes, of course, when you're successful and you're rich and you're comfortable, people come after those riches and they want to take you out of the picture and that could lead to your death. All that to say, look, notice the common denominator. Death, 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 death. Fear of loss. Okay. Notice that, though. The fear of death is the common denominator. One thing we are terrified of, and we might have different actual phobias, but the common denominator for most phobias is death. I'm scared to die. I'm scared that something might lead to my death. I remember as a young boy being plagued by this fear. As soon as I grabbed onto the concept of people die, I remember for maybe a few weeks just being terrified of that process, that concept. That at one point I'm going to die. At one point my parents are going to die. And I remember as a young boy just thinking about that in, in my bed at night. Thinking about death. Being terrified of death. Because death is scary, isn't it? Death is a big, big bully. You know what else is hard? Something else we don't like? Tests. Anyone not like tests? Anyone struggle taking tests growing up? Yes, I definitely did. I could reproduce the material if you asked me an essay question, but I struggled with tests for some reason. I did not like tests. And I think a lot of people are in that boat. I don't think we like tests. Tests frustrate us. Tests make us anxious. Well, <laughs> to compound the problem, in Hebrews chapter 9, the writer of Hebrews says, listen, as, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. I don't think this is anyone's life verse. I don't. I don't think anyone puts that upon their wall at home. Death is coming for all of us and a very, very hard test. According to Hebrews, according to this truth of God's word, and that's not just in Hebrews, it's all over scripture, all of us will face death and a hard test to follow called Judgment Day. Do we need confidence for that? Do you think we need confidence that death is the number one fear for most people? And there's a hard test, a very hard test, called Judgment Day to follow. Let's read through Scripture, just a couple examples of this Judgment Day. In 2 Corinthians 5, chapter 10, Paul says, For we must, there it is, 
all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Do you know in the last day we're not going to be judged according to our profession of faith? We're going to be judged according to our works. Scripture is very, very clear on that. Why is that? How can that possibly be? Because the works validate the profession. It's that simple. What you do proves who you were. God does not have to look at the date in your Bible. He does not have to hear your testimony. He simply has to say, let's see the patterns and themes of your life, and I'll know exactly who you belong to. And it's not just in 2 Corinthians. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 and 42 says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Now, maybe that's a separate day than the day of judgment, but at least lead, one leads to the other. In Revelation chapter 20, and verses 11 to 15, John is prophesying, and he said, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, why would I bring that up if I love you people, which I do love you people? Why bring up something that cannot make us squirm in our seats when we're talking about confidence? Because the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Thank you. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And that's exactly right. Fear of God produces confidence. Do you guys understand that? That's the equation of Scripture. That if we fear the right things, if we fear God, we won't fear anything else. Anything else. And God doesn't, doesn't want us to squirm. He doesn't want us to be anxious. He doesn't want depression to be on the rise. He wants confidence to be on the rise. But this is something that is big, serious, and real. There is a judgment day coming. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but it's going to be very serious and very real. And it's no joke. It's no joking matter. It's nothing to make light of. It's real, it's serious, and it's coming for every single person. We will stand before God, and we will be tested. Our works will be looked at. God will discover how we lived. And that's a really big and scary thing to know. J.C. Ryle said this. He says, it's better to confess Christ a thousand times now and be despised by men than to be disowned by Christ before God on the day of judgment. Isn't that true? Regardless of what man says, don't you want God to be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You're mine. The kingdom belongs to you. It doesn't matter what man says. It doesn't matter what man thinks. As long as God loves me and I'm with him, that's all that matters. Back to 1 John chapter 4, he said, By this love is love perfected with us. Notice the phrasing. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Now, I've, I've, people have asked me, how can you do public speaking? How, how can you be confident in front of people? Because almost nobody has that talent and skill. Well, think about this, though. This is well beyond that question. How can anyone have confidence when standing before God and having their works judged? How can anyone have confidence? That's a terrifying thing to think about and to picture. And I'm telling you as a pastor, I'm terrified to just think about that day, let alone experience that day. But according to what John has just told us, we can have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. We'll talk about that. If you remember the story of David and Goliath, and I found a real picture of that event, um, that's, that's a real picture. <laughs> no, it's not. It's a cartoon. But remember the story of David and Goliath. The shocking thing about that story, one of the shocking things about that story is how confident David was. Remember that? There's this big, giant, 9 to 12 foot giant just scaring everybody in the Israelite army. And even the most seasoned warriors, even King Saul himself, saying, I'm not going near Goliath. And then this little kid, this little teenager comes up with lunch for his brothers, and he notices that the giant is blaspheming his God. And David goes, I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with that. Why doesn't somebody go fight him? And they're like, are you kidding me? Look at the size of him. Look how big he is. Look how seasoned he is. Look, he's, he's yelling things at us. He's taunting us. I don't want to go anywhere near Goliath. And David says, I'll go. 
I'll go right now. And they tried to put armor on him. They tried to give him this big, huge, heavy sword and shield. And David said, I don't need any of that. Just give me my sling and I'm good. And guess what David did? He ran at the giant. We know the end of the story. That was the giant's last day upon the earth. How was David so confident? He was small. The giant was big. He's a teenager. The giant's a seasoned warrior. How was he not only confident to enter the battle, but to run at the giant? And the answer is very, very simple. If God is for us, who could be against us? God was for David. It had been evident because he defeated a lion and a bear previously to protect his sheep. He had the anointing to be the next king. David was loved by God. So he said, if God is for us, who could be against us? And he charged the giant and took the giant down. Now, we all have our giants. Right? We've talked about a couple of them. Death is a giant. Put your phobia there. But Judgment Day, that's a giant, isn't it? How are we supposed to be confident for death and Judgment Day? They're so scary. Everyone, the most successful people in this world are paralyzed by the concept of death. And at least they should be about Judgment Day. But John says we can have confidence for the day of judgment. We can run at the day of judgment. We don't have to fear it. We don't have to be terrified. We don't have to cower in fear. When judgment day comes, we stand and we stand in confidence. How can that be, John? By this is love perfected with us. That's how. Perfect love. God's Perfect love will give you the confidence you need to stand before Him, the sovereign and judge and ruler over all on Judgment Day because He loves you and me perfectly. Do you believe that? Not that just He loves you, and there's a, there's a sampling of that love, but God loves us perfectly. If you look at the word perfect, which I did, these are the definitions you get. Number one says, having all the required or desirable elements qualities and characteristics as good as it can possibly be. Number two says absolute, complete. Number three says to make something completely free from faults or defects as close to such as a condition can be. Perfect. Do you know God's love is perfect? Perfect love that he gives out to us. The world would say this, nothing is perfect. There's nothing perfect. Everything has flaws. They say about this when you drive a car off the lot, what does it do? It depreciates. As soon as you drive it off the lot, it's old. They don't want it anymore. It's yours. It's lost $4,000. Nothing's perfect. As soon as you get it, it starts going bad. Isn't that true? Well, it's not true, actually. Because there is one thing that is perfect. It's God's love. It's God and his love. God's love is perfect. Absolutely perfect, without flaws, without faults, without weaknesses. God's love is that, given to us in full. I like to illustrate things, so I'm going to illustrate this with a dam. We have a few dams around us, right? And uh, I don't know exactly where this dam is, but I think this is a pretty cool illustration of what we're talking about today. Okay, now this is us over here. This is, we're over here somewhere. I'm just going to put us over here, okay? And on this side are the things that scare us. Death. Any phobia you want. Judgment day. All the things that scare us on the other side. If that dam breaks, we're in trouble. And we know it. And we sense it. Death is coming for us. Judgment day is coming for us. We're here on the other side in safety right now. But how long can that safety last? And then John tells us to not fear. Because there's something huge and perfect standing in the way of all of those insecurities, all of those fears. It's the love of God. And guess what? There are no leaks. There are no weaknesses. There's no water spraying out anywhere in, that, in, a, in the love of God. Once you have God's love, it perfectly protects you from the things that scare us the most. We've learned in Scripture that death is simply a passageway, isn't it, for those in Jesus Christ. Death is not... The end, on the contrary, it's the beginning. It's when everything good begins. It's a passageway to greater life. The writer says, O death, where is your victory? O grave, where is your sting? It's been taken away. 
because of God's perfect love. But what about judgment day? We're going to stand before God and he's going to judge us according to our works. And John says, you don't have to fear. If you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, if Christ is in you, if you dwell within each other, you don't have to fear. You should have confidence for that day because God's perfect love is with you. And there are no weaknesses. There are no leaks in that fear, in that perfect love. Once you have that perfect love, it surrounds you with protection and safety. John says, by this love is perfected with us so we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. Now, what does that mean? Well, take a look at the phrase again. As he, Jesus, is, so also are we in this world. I think there's a little hidden treasure there. We know that we need to follow Christ. We need to become like Christ. It's a term we call sanctification. It's not only trusting in Christ for salvation, but it's walking like Christ. It's living like Christ. It's following his very pattern in this world. And it's a big, long, narrow pathway. And it's going to take the rest of our life to complete this long journey. But that's our calling as Christians, to not just believe, but to become like Jesus. And the scripture makes us abundantly clear that as followers of Jesus, whatever comes to Jesus comes to us. Again, he's in the boat with us. Whatever comes to one comes to the other, both on earth, which we would say yikes, and in eternity, which we would say yay. Whatever comes to Jesus on this earth and in eternity comes to us because we are followers of Jesus. We are in the boat with Jesus. One scares us, one makes us happy. We try to suppress the one and look to the other. But I believe both are evidences of the love of God. We all want the crown, don't we? We all want the crown of heaven. But Jesus got the cross before the crown, didn't he? And then he says to his followers, pick up your cross and follow me. Why, Jesus? I don't want the cross. You did that, so I, don't, I could avoid it. And Jesus says, no, you're going to avoid the actual torment upon the cross itself. You're going to avoid the part where you pay for your sins. I've done that. But you're going to pick up your own cross. And you're going to follow me because the cross leads to the crown. Whatever happens to me happens to you. If you want the crown, you get the cross. If you get the cross, you 100% sure get the crown. We know this, Philippians 2, verses 8 to 11, Paul said this, he says, referring to Jesus Christ and being found in human form, he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus died. He died on a cross. He humbled himself. Things got really bad for Jesus. And then three days later, he arose from the grave. Forty days later, he ascended back to heaven. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He received the name that is above every name, that every knee should bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. From the cross to the crown. But you know how that passage starts out? Philippians chapter 2. Paul says this. In verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Humility, obedience, sacrifice, and one day glory. And Paul says, think the same way, have the same mind. Whatever comes to one comes to the other. If you want confidence then, follow Jesus now. It's so simple, right? A child can understand that process. Confidence later, follow Jesus now. And I believe this, again, this is one of those things that we've got to pay attention to because sometimes we gloss over these things. The narrow, the Christian road that we're put on is, is a narrow path. It's a narrow gate that we have to squeeze through. It's made that way on purpose. It's made narrow so that it's difficult, it's hard, it's costly to get through that gate. It's costly to walk on that road. Why is it built that way? Why didn't God just make it big and wide and available to everybody? Just come in. I don't care who you are. I don't care how you think. If you want it, it's yours. Enter in. He made it narrow. He made it narrow so that those who get in really want it. Those who get the crown got the cross. 
Why did he make it that way? Well, number one, I believe he wanted to test to see if we really love him. Do we really love him or do we really just want all his stuff? Do we just want to cherry pick from God? God, you're great and all, but I really just want your stuff. By entering through the narrow road and entering through the narrow gate, it proves we really want Jesus. And number two, what I believe what it does, maybe we can overlook, is it keeps other people out. And by other people, I mean enemies. By squeezing through that narrow gate on that narrow road, God keeps some who want our bad, our harm, out for the rest of eternity. Because that's how God loves us. He wants us to be confident for all time. Once again, we've lingered longer than we should, so we need to go quickly through point three. But let's now talk about the result of confidence. We've left one verse for that. John says in verse 4, verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Because fear would bounce confidence. Excuse me, fear would bounce, love would bounce fear. Let me say that correctly. Now here's a picture of perspective. Do you guys know what perspective is? You could also use the term um, point of view. Maybe you've heard that term before. Now look at this picture. One guy says six. The other guy says nine. Who's right? Well, the way that it's designed, they're both right. They're just looking at it from two different angles. Right? There's perspective in this world. Sometimes we see things a different way than other people because we're looking at it from a different angle. It doesn't make truth not truth. It just means sometimes we're looking at it differently. Now, this, there's two ways to look at this verse, I believe. And one is very, very common, and it should be because it's there and it's very easy and obvious to see. Because John told us there's no... There's no fear in love towards us. That's what he means. Because perfect love casts out fear in us. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears, you and I, has not been perfected in love, and that's not a good thing. God doesn't want that for us. He doesn't want us to be fearful. He wants us to be confident. So therefore, he has to remind us of his perfect love, and that's a beautiful thing that he's doing today. I perfectly love you. So he's taking all those fears that you and I have, and we have a whole bunch, and he's helping us bounce them today. That's, what a, that's a bouncer, <laughs> in case you don't know. He's bouncing the fear. That's what perfect love is going to do. God's perfect love, once we understand it, once we have it, it bounces fear, because that's the design of God's perfect love. It removes fear. So if we have fear, we don't really truly understand the perfect love of God yet. And that's going to be kind of a journey for the rest of our lives is to understand God's perfect love so that it bounces the fear that it's supposed to. We need to have that love. We need to know that love. We need to experience that love. We need to dive deep into that love so that those fears are chased away. And this is a great thing about our God is he doesn't desire anyone's death. Did you know that? Anybody. According to the very verbatim scripture in 2 Peter chapter 3, says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but notice, he is patient toward you. And he could mean someone in this room who has yet turned to Jesus Christ. He's not slow to fulfill his promise. He's patient to fulfill his promise, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Because repentance means turning around from your sin and putting your eyes on Jesus and then following Jesus from the cross to the crown. And God desires that for everyone that he's created. And I'll say it again, everyone. He's not slow. He's not lacking. He's not delayed. He's patient. He's going to leave that door open as long as possible so that those who don't yet have life can find life. Do you know Jesus? John's used this phrase a lot through 1 John. By this we can know. By this we know. By this we know. Do you know Jesus? And I don't mean know him by biblical knowledge only. I mean, do you know him by experience? Do you know his love because he saved you from your sins when you were walking contrary to God? He gave you hope when you didn't have any. He picked you up when all you had was death and despair and condemnation. Do you know Jesus that way? Because you can. And God wants you to. And that's the whole point of this lesson. Because God has told us way back in the prophet Jeremiah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I said this about my baby daughter, Felicity, the other day. I'm holding Felicity, and she's a very active girl, so I'm bouncing her on my lap. And I said to Janine, I just said, I, I thought of a really cool parallel. 
It's like I've always loved Felicity. She's only been here seven months. It's like I've always loved her. Like I didn't have to build up love for Felicity. As soon as she arrived, I gave her my full love. It's almost like I've always had love for Felicity. Do you see the parallel there? As soon as you belong to God, he gives you his full, perfect love. Like you were always meant to be there. Because you were. He says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. This relationship hasn't been everlasting, but my love has been. And as soon as you have it, you have that everlasting love. I told you there's two perspectives to look at this verse. There's a six way, there's a nine way. There's two ways to look at it. Let's now look at it from another way before we close today. Because there's another way I believe that John has already laid this groundwork for us to see it. He says there's no perfect fear in love towards us, but also towards others. For perfect love casts out fear in others. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears other people has not been perfected in love. Do you see it? It's not only a lesson for our soul, it's a lesson for our duty. We need perfect love, but guess who else needs perfect love? Everyone else. And this is why Jesus has told us to follow him. Yes, you need it. I know you need it. I've come to give you my perfect love. But guess what? I'm going to invite you into the mission of the church, the mission of God. And for the rest of your time, you are going to be helping others see the perfect love of God as well. It's not just a country club we have here called Crossroads Church. It is a mission to reach everyone who needs the perfect love with that perfect love by taking that perfect love out to this world. If you look up the word encourage, it has a really cool definition. It means to give support, give confidence, and help give hope to somebody. Isn't that cool? When you encourage people, you give someone confidence. You come alongside of them and say, I just want to encourage you. I want to help you. I want to say something that hopefully will bless your soul and encourage you. And that, that bolsters their confidence to do something that God has called them to do. And as Christians, we're called to do that. God has sent the bouncer to bounce out our fears, and he's also called us to be the bouncer. For other people's fears. Now, it's not our perfect love, is it? Our love is not perfect. We take the perfect love of God, and we give it to others who are in need. And in that way, who are we acting like? We're acting like Jesus. And I think there's two lessons in that one verse. Because John himself also wrote the Gospel of John, but he's quoting Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 15, 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. How have you loved me, Jesus, with perfect love? No flaws, no leaks, no weaknesses. I want you to take that same love that I've given you and I want you to help others see it as well. I want you to have the same love towards others as I have towards you. Now we've got to end, and we will. This is how we've started this theme with for his glory and for our benefit, and I think there's both in one lesson. I believe God is glorified when our fears are replaced by confidence because of his great, perfect, and eternal love given to us freely in Jesus. When he sees that our fear is chased away by his perfect love and we gain confidence, God's glorified because that couldn't happen without him. We aren't confident in ourselves. We're not supposed to be. We're confident in our God. But we are benefited also when we stand confident today against all fears and courageously obey Jesus, giving out his love to others, knowing that nothing can separate us from his perfect love. Do you notice how perfect love gives confidence? Perfect love gives courage. Following Jesus takes courage. Following Jesus takes confidence and God says, I have it for you. Come get it. Following Jesus is hard. I have the confidence and the courage you need. It's all in my perfect love. Our application before we close is this. Confidence is a trait of being with God and being loved by God. And it's that simple. If you have true confidence, you've tasted of the love of God. You have. Because you can't truly be confident without God's love. The world pretends they're confident, but they're not actually confident. They have the same fears everyone else does. They're just suppressing those fears. When we have true confidence, we're not scared anymore. We're not terrified anymore. We're confident in our heart. And that's a trait of being loved by God. But giving confidence to others is a trait of following Jesus. Because I don't just don't need this love. You don't just need this love. The whole world outside of here needs this love. 
And when we take that confident, perfect love and we go and give it to those in need, we are acting most like Jesus Christ. Finding confidence at the feet of Jesus, which is how we find it 100% of the time, let us take that confidence and use it to stand against the fear of this world and to courageously beat down the gates of hell by showing others the perfect love of Jesus. That's the simple pattern of Scripture. Get His love, then use His love. Receive His love, give out His love. Do you notice it? Cross, crown. And it's all because of confidence. Or let's say it this way, it's all because of God's perfect love. Do you know God today? Do you know Jesus today? Do you have that confidence today? You can. You can leave this room right now, today, with that confidence, simply by understanding how much God loves you through Jesus. Let's bow and pray. Father, your lesson today is a deep one and a challenging one, if we're honest. But Father, it's good for us. It's good for us to know that in this world full of fears and insecurities, we can have confidence simply by putting our eyes upon Jesus, the one you sent to this earth, to not be distant, but to be near us, to dwell within us, to be in the same boat with us. Father, help us to understand our confidence comes from being with Jesus. It's that simple. Help us today, Father, to see that Jesus in a brand new way, or maybe a fresh way, and have the confidence that we deserve and that we need to give to those in need around us. We thank you and we praise you for this confidence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.